Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. How are y'all doing this Sunday? Good? Okay. Good. Um, well, you can see in the worship guide, the title for the sermon today is God of Our New Songs. So we're going to be talking about what we just did, singing, worshiping, and praising. Um, I have a question to start off with, though, uh, and it's okay if you don't want to answer, and it's okay if the answer is no, but do you have a memory at all of somebody singing over you, whether you were a kid and it was your parent or an uncle? Do you have a memory of a parent singing to you? Or as a parent, do you have a memory of singing to your newborn baby or your child? Maybe you don't, but I'm sure all of us at one point have encountered that, even if we were just a baby. We've had somebody sing over us. You did that at work? Oh, okay. When I was working at the old building, there was one uh, lady that she had a disease and she was really messed up. She was having a really, really bad day. And her favorite song was Jesus Loves Me. So I went in there and sang to her softly for about 10 minutes and she finally got calmed down and went to sleep because she just loves to hear that song. Yeah. So she loves to hear that song. Yeah. Good. Well, it's interesting because why did you sing to her? You sang to her because you cared about her. You didn't just say, go up and say, hey, I love you, which is good. But why do we sing when we could just talk? And I'm afraid I don't have the answer for that. I think we sing when we're trying to communicate to somebody that we just don't know how we can do with words. Of course, our songs contain words, but we share the delight we have in songs with others through song, whether we're singing to others or whether we're on the receiving end like your friend was. Now, I think sometimes when we talk about singing in church, or even singing outside of church, worshiping God and praising God, I think sometimes we have this misconception that I'm singing to get God's attention. But I think that's not exactly true. Zephaniah 3.17, a very famous Bible verse says, The Lord... Your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So you see, we're not singing to get God's attention. We're singing because God is already singing over us. God, we already have God's attention. We're not singing to try to get God to notice us, we're singing because God notices us. And not just notices us, cares about us, loves us, sings over us. If I asked you that question, have you ever been sung over, and you were sad, no, uh, I've never been sung over, I never had a parent to sing over me. Know today that God hasn't just sung to you, he sings to you right now, and he'll sing over you for eternity. We're not singing to get God's 
attention we're singing because God loves us and we're so thankful and grateful. And I wanted to share that with you before we talk about the psalm today and before we talk about singing. Because a lot of people do fall into that trap. But the psalmist is about to make a joyful song because of who God is. And let's read that psalm together. It's Psalm chapter 98. And as you're turning there, remember we're in a series on the book of Psalms. And so we're not just reading about prayers. We're not just reading about worship. We're reading about who we're praying to, who we're worshiping. So as we're reading this psalm, think about what this reveals to us about who God is. So Psalm 98, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So what do we see first in this psalm? Well, I think in verses 1 through 3, we're going to split this up into three sections. The first thing that we see is that we are shown what to sing. What does it tell us to sing? It says, sing to the Lord a new song. So our first question when we read that is, okay, what does that mean? What is a new song? Why doesn't it just, why doesn't it just say, sing to the Lord any old song? Sing to the Lord, period. No, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. I think sometimes when we read that, we think, do I have to be a composer? Do I have to write my own worship music? Well, it's nice to write your own worship music, and you're welcome to write your own psalms, but it's not saying you can't sing old songs. What it's saying is sing again. Sometimes when it comes to reading the Bible, reading the psalms, worshiping, we think, ah, I've done all that. But the psalmist says, sing a new song. A new song means that God is still working. God is still active. If the Bible was just a history book, then we wouldn't really need to sing new songs. But God keeps moving and acting and working through us and within us and around us today and He will in the future. God keeps inspiring new songs. And God keeps inspiring new reasons to sing our old songs. We just sang old songs, but they became new songs when we sang them 
again. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he talked about in his book, Life Together, what he thinks new songs are. He said, new songs, it is the song that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy at the creation of the world. It is the victory song of the children of Israel after passing through the Red Sea. It is the Magnificate of Mary after the Annunciation. It is the song of Paul and Silas in the night of prison. It is the song of the singers on the Sea of Glass after the rescue, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. It is the new song of the heavenly fellowship. So what is Bonhoeffer saying? He's saying all of these characters in the Bible sang new songs when they saw God acting in reality, when they witnessed God, when they witnessed how God was taking care of them, they sang new songs. And when Psalm 98 and other places in the psalm say, sing a new song, we're joining in with Moses when he celebrated the things that God did in his life. Mary, when it was announced to her that she would give birth to the Savior. We are joining in on the Bible. We are joining in on characters in the Bible today by worshiping, by praising, by singing new songs because God didn't just work then. He works now in 2018 and he'll work on forever. And so that's why we don't give up singing songs. We keep singing new songs. We're told to sing new songs. And it reminds me of Paul and Silas. And Bonhoeffer mentioned them in that quote. The new song is the song of Paul and Silas. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look a little bit at Paul and Silas in prison. And let's look at chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. So Paul and Silas, they're put in prison. It's a long story, but to make it short, they're ruffling some feathers by their preaching of Jesus Christ. And so they've been placed in jail. And this is a horrible situation that they're in. They're shackled, basically, in jail. And in prison, it's, it's not like prison's great now, but prison was particularly difficult back then because it's not like they fed you. You had to get your own money. That's why Paul often thanked churches. Thank you for partnering with me in the gospel, for giving me money so that I could have food to eat in prison. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had anything to eat. Prison is just about the worst thing that could happen to you. And it's not like you go to prison for something. You go to prison to wait for your trial, to wait to be sentenced to whatever you're going to be sentenced to. So there's a sense of dread and hopelessness in prison that Paul and Silas should be feeling. But what does it say in verse 25 through 26? It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So it's interesting. Paul and Silas, they weren't singing in order for this to happen. They didn't say, oh, if we sing hard enough, God's going to break our chains and he's going to knock over the doors of this prison. Church tradition holds that the Apostle Paul died on behalf of Jesus. What happened? Did he just forget to sing when that happened? No, he wasn't singing to be freed from prison. And it's great that he was in this instance, but he and Silas were singing 
out of gratitude and gratefulness for God's action, for who God is, and that they knew God is good and loves them. Now, on the outside, we see this and say, why are you singing? You're in prison. You're only supposed to sing when everything's going great in your life, right? Once all your circumstances are good, then you can start celebrating. Then you can have joy. But Paul and Silas do the opposite. They say, no matter what's happening, whether I am at a feast or whether I'm starving in prison, I have a reason to sing a new song. And so the new songs that we sing are celebrations of what God has done and what God is doing and what we expect God to do in the future. Now keep your hand on Acts 16. We'll revisit that in a little bit. But the second thing we see in Psalm 98 is that we are shown how to sing. Now what does verse 4 say? It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And so we see the Psalms say, tell us to sing joyfully. Now you might say, how come there's so many sad songs? How come there's so many sad hymns if we're supposed to sing joyfully? Well, joy doesn't deny the presence that things and circumstances in our life can be hurtful, can be sad, but joy still stays in us even when our circumstances aren't exactly where we want them to be. We can still sing with joy, knowing who God is. Our God's identity doesn't depend on how comfortable or how happy we are in life. And so we can sing with joy, whether we are incredibly depressed or incredibly happy, forgetting that we've ever been depressed. Joy can be continual the whole time. And joyful worship is encouraging. It's encouraging for fellow believers, and it's enticing to non-believers. I remember um, a friend of mine in college, she told me, when we worship, you know what I like to do? I like to look around. I like to look around and see all the people worshiping. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I've, I've always just kept my eyes on the words or had my eyes on the singer. I've never really looked around and seen the worshipers, but I did try that. And it was encouraging to me to see people worshiping God. It was encouraging to my faith to see that other people are along with me on this journey and that other people are celebrating with me. I do have a reason to sing a new song, but I don't have to sing it alone. I can sing it with fellow believers who also have the same hope and joy and peace that I have. But we also see in the Bible that singing, praising, worshiping is enticing to people who don't necessarily believe. Let's go back to Acts chapter 16. And this time we'll look at verses 27 through 30. Now, in the previous verses, they've been freed from the bonds that held them captive. Uh, The prison has basically opened up so they can walk out if they want to. And in verse 27, it says, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now we saw in verse uh, 25, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You don't think anybody who doesn't have the hope, joy, and peace that you do has ever listened to the hope and the peace and the joy that you have? That God can work through us, through our singing, through our praising, to show people the life that he has given us. People see our praising, they see our worship, and they say, I want that. I want what they have. And when everything fell apart for this Philippian jailer, he said to Paul and Silas, I want what you have. He's just about to kill himself. He's at the lowest point in his life. And he sees other men who were at the lowest point in their lives, and they were singing. I want what you have. We sing with joy. Now, everybody has their own way of worshiping and singing. But whether you sing a little quiet, whether you sing loud, whether you sing with your hands at your hip, whether you sing with your hands raised up high, we can all sing with joy out of gratitude, knowing people are watching us, just like they watched Paul and Silas. Psalm 98 invites other people to join in, doesn't it? It says, uh, all the earth sing praises. In verses 1 through 3, it said, Israel. Now it's saying all the earth. Do you see what it's doing? It's inviting everybody to join in. But hey, isn't don't all the other nations have their own God and, and Israel has their God? No, God is the God of all the earth. And Israel is supposed to invite the rest of the earth to join them in their worship. This is incredible what Psalm 98 says. It doesn't say, oh, let's keep this worship and this praise to ourselves. It says all the earth praise the Lord. And so when we worship with joy, we are inviting everybody else to join in. And it also shows us in Psalm 98 that we sing with praise. Verse 5 says, sing praises to the Lord. And it gives you different ways to sing praises. It, it uses all pretty much the dominant instruments that they use. We may say, sing praises to the Lord with the guitar, with the piano. But the idea is still the same, isn't it? We're singing Praises And praise isn't necessarily worship. Jesus praised other people. He praised some people for their faith. That doesn't mean he was worshiping them. But praise can be an avenue that we take to go into worship. Richard Foster, who wrote an amazing book called Celebration of Discipline, when he's talking about worship, he says, praise is another avenue into worship. The Psalms are the literature of worship, and their most prominent feature is praise. Praise the Lord is the shout that reverberates from one end of the Psalter to the other, singing, shouting, dancing, rejoicing, adoring. All are the languages of praise. And so we can sing with joy in who God is, 
And we can sing with praise. We're praising God. We're thanking God. We're saying, God, you are so good. How could we not sing for joy when we start praising God? Because when we start praising God, we start remembering who God is, and it makes us celebrate. That's one thing that we're doing when we worship. And sometimes we worship in sad moments in our life, but we always have something to celebrate. The world tells us you're always going to have a reason not to sing. But Psalm 98 tells us you're always going to have a reason to sing too. And so yes, we don't wait for everything to be perfect to sing to God because we can always have joy in who God is and we can always praise God for what he's done. The third thing we see in Psalm 98 We've seen that we were shown what to sing. We've seen that we were shown how to sing. But the last thing we see in Psalm 98 is that we are shown why to sing. We've talked about this a little bit already, but we sing because we have seen what God has done. Now, Psalm 98 in verses 7 through 9 describes the sea roaring and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Why are they clapping? Why are they celebrating? They're celebrating because of who God is. When I read this verse in Psalm 98, it reminded me of something Jesus said. In Luke chapter 19, verse 37 through 40, it says, As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Don't we see that in Psalm 98? Let the sea roar. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. They're singing, they're rejoicing because of what God has done. The disciples, it says that they were singing and praising Jesus because of what he had done. And when the Pharisees said, tell them to shut up, Jesus said, God is going to get his worship even if the rocks have to do it. So you might as well join in on the reason that they're celebrating. They're celebrating who I am, and what I've done, and they've seen how good I am. So why tell the disciples to stop joining in? No, when we... When we sing, when we worship, we're joining in because we're admitting, confessing, saying, I've seen God move and work and act in my life. And I'm joining in with all creation and celebrating it. We sing because of what God has done, but we also sing for kind of strange reason. This is going to sound strange, but we sing because of God's judgment. Now, Psalm 98, verse 9, it says, it talks about the seas roaring, the rivers clapping their hands, 
before the Lord. Why? Because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Huh? We're praising because God's coming to judge the earth? That, that doesn't sound right. That sounds kind of scary. I don't want God to judge me. I, I want God to kind of forget about what I've done. But it says he's going to judge rightly. He's going to judge the world with righteousness. He's a good judge. And we want evil to be judged. Imagine if the Bible said there's evil in the world and God is going to do absolutely nothing about it. No. It says there's evil in the world and God is going to judge it. God is condemning evil. God is condemning injustice. Evil cannot and will not win. And so the psalm says, praise God that he's doing something about all that is wrong with the world. Praise God that he doesn't just abandon the world. Praise God that he is fixing the world. He's putting the world back the way it should be. It reminds me of a quote in The Lord of the Rings. And anybody see that movie or read those books? Well, in the, in the books, um, in the last book, Sam Gamgee, one of the hobbits, he gets just a plethora of good news. And he's just astounded at all the good things that are going on after all the horrible things that he's faced. And he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? And that's what Psalm 98 says, isn't it? Praise the Lord because everything that's sad is going to come untrue. God is doing something about all that is wrong with the world. Every reason we give for not singing, God is doing something about those things. And so if we go back to Acts chapter 16, we see the end of this story. Verse 31 through 34. Last time we saw the jailer, he said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, you need to do my chores for a week. No. You need to buy my groceries. You need to carry my bags. No. You need to um, become a Jew and obey Jewish practices and be circumcised. No. What? Well, what do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do. Well, a lot of people thought you did have to do all kinds of things to be saved. Paul and Silas said, there's nothing you can do to be saved. There's absolutely nothing you can do to be saved. But there is one person who has done something. And what did Paul and Silas say? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the one who's already done everything for you. And you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So they went in more detail with him. They explained more to him. And to all who were in his house. They went home with him and explained it to them too. 
and he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. They'd just been beaten with rods. He's washing their wounds now. And, sorry, I lost my place. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so, isn't it interesting that the response of the Philippian jailer was, what must I do to be saved? He's just seen Paul and Silas in their lowest moment. But he sees that he's actually the oppressor. He sees that he's actually on the side that's against God. He sees, oh, they're worshiping their God and their God is acting on their behalf. Looks like I've been on the wrong side this whole time. What must I be, what must I do to be saved from this judgment that Psalm 98 talks about? Now, we don't know that he read Psalm 98, but he has this idea that, whoa, I'm dealing with something much bigger than myself. How can I be on the right side now? How can I join in? Um, I can clearly see that God is moving and acting. How can I join in on that? And Paul and Silas tell him, believe, have faith. You don't have to do enough works for God to save you. God has saved you through Jesus. And all you have to do is believe in him. They call him to join in. They say, believe, join in on what God's doing. You don't have to be good enough. Paul definitely wasn't good enough. Silas here wasn't good enough. But Jesus was good enough. And when we believe in him, we believe that he has dealt with sin and evil in the world. In Jesus, we see this judgment that the Psalms talk about. It says he will come to judge the world with righteousness. And he has judged the world. And he has said, guilty. You are guilty of sin. But this is what Jesus did. And this is what the Bible says. He who knew no sin, Jesus, God in the flesh, became sin. He became sin on the cross. So that when Jesus died, sin died. God judged sin Sin was put on the cross in the form of Jesus. So Jesus has judged, and he has condemned, and he has addressed sin, but not on any of us. He took it on himself. He took it on himself. He paid that price for us. And so we talked about singing We talked about how God sings over us. But was God singing over all the sin of the world? No. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he became all the sin of the world. And at that moment, God wasn't singing over him. The singing that he had experienced from all of eternity for the first time ever was gone. Jesus, for the first time, experienced the absence of God singing over him. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that's not the end of the story. We know that 
sin was dealt with, death was defeated, Jesus was raised from the grave to have life and life everlasting that we get to join in on. But we only get to join in on that new song of resurrection because Jesus experienced the absence of God's singing. Because Jesus was abandoned on the cross because Jesus took our sin. We, now more than ever, have reasons to have joy and have reasons to praise. What Psalm 98 was looking forward to, we look back on and celebrate. And Paul and Silas showed the jailer that you can have Psalm 98 life in Jesus, not by making Paul your apostle, or Silas, your teacher, but by having faith in Jesus. You see, once we put on Jesus' lenses, Jesus' glasses, we stop seeing just a random chaotic world with no meaning, and we see the seas clapping, we see the hills thundering, all of creation rejoicing out of who God is and what He's done. And if you say, I have no reason to praise, I have no reason to rejoice, to be joyful, just hear this. Jesus, even if you were the only person ever created, would still have gone through the horrific nightmare that he went through on the cross for you. How can you not sing? How can you not rejoice? How can you not celebrate when you realize you are loved that much by God? because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and because what he did on the cross was not the end, but because he rose on the third day, and because he's never dying again, and death has been defeated, and we don't have to fear death. What does the Bible say about death? The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Why? Because Jesus destroyed it. What an amazing reason to sing today. What an amazing reason to worship today. What an amazing reason to go home and even in private sing whistle rejoice play the piano whatever it is you do out of gratitude thankfulness and worship towards God God is the God of our new songs because we'll always have a reason to sing new songs because of what God has done through Jesus what God is doing right now in us through his Holy Spirit and the hope that we have in our hearts that can never be taken away from us, that can never be squashed down. Our songs don't come out of how good our lives seem to be. They come out of our hearts because our hearts have been changed by Jesus. Our hearts are thankful now. And we don't have to sing for God to turn his head around and see us. We should know that if Jesus, if God in the flesh would die, would go through the deepest depression on the cross so that we could have joy, if he went through all of that for us, then we are singing because of who God is, not because we are trying to get God to be with us, because he said he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. God, we forget sometimes when we pray 
that we're talking to the God of all creation, God. We get so starstruck when we see athletes or celebrities, but God, you are the God of creation. To know that we have your attention, I pray, God, that we would be so amazed by that. We wouldn't take it for granted that you, God, are listening to us right now. And God, when we worshiped earlier, you saw it. You heard it. And when we sing in a moment, you'll see it and you'll hear it, God. I pray that we won't worship or sing these songs out of obligation to feel like we have to. But we'll sing them because we know that we get to. We get to worship a God that loves us, is good, that will never, ever, ever let us down. And your love never fails. It goes on and on and on. And so God, even if we're singing an old song, we're going to make it a new song to you right now because you alone deserve it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.